0: Dear Lord, we uh, do rejoice in the fact that you've made yourself known, that you are God who speaks to us. Thank you for your word, the scriptures. We pray that today that uh, as we hear this from this wonderful passage that you would uh, indeed speak to us. Uh, change us by these words and uh, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: reading from Isaiah chapter 50, beginning at verse 4. The Sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious, I have not turned away, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark who has no light turn trust let the one who walks in the dark who has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. But now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment.
0: Father, uh, we hear this morning a word to the weary, a word that sustains the weary, uh, a word about this incredible, majestic, self-giving servant. Father, for each one of us this morning, we pray, Father, that you by your spirit will open our hearts and our minds to your word, that we might hear it, that we might entrust ourselves to you as our good and living and powerful and sovereign Lord. Thank you for your servant, the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well friends, uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll know that we're in the middle of a series looking at these servant songs in Isaiah, these passages through the, uh, the book of Isaiah and the Old Testament uh, that are so crucial uh, to the way we understand uh, Jesus. And as we kind of lead up into Easter, these are really great passages for us to spend a bit of time in if we want to understand uh, Jesus' death and his resurrection, what it was that he came to do, uh, what the New Testament claims is the center point of all history, of all human history, uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus. These passages are a brilliant place to go. Uh, this is just, uh, we've had this up a few weeks, the overview of the whole book of Isaiah. You can see that there. The book of Isaiah itself, I'm not going to go through it in detail today because we have the other couple of weeks, but the book of Isaiah as a whole is this stunning picture of. Hope, this old, old, in the Old Testament, this shining light of hope, it tells of how God was going to respond to his people Israel after they had rejected him, that he would judge them and send them into exile, but he, he wouldn't give up on his promise to bring his blessing to the earth through Israel. He wouldn't give up on it. And by the time we get to the end of Isaiah, you see how big this promise blows out to be. Uh, the blessing would be nothing other than a whole new creation. The world, as it was always meant to be, living in a beautiful restored relationship with God, and with itself, with each other, and the key to how all that was would, was going to happen is this figure of the servant. Okay, that's just to orient ourselves again. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at chapter forty-two, the first of these servant songs, where the servant, as God's king, filled with His Spirit, is the one who brings God's justice to the nations. And at the same time, do you remember a couple of weeks ago, this great, incredible sovereign king, the servant, who is also tender and humble towards bruised reeds and uh, smouldering wicks that are about to go out, this incredible combination of power and tenderness. Last week we heard the servant speak for himself for the first time, his maiden speech to the world, uh, and we saw that he was going to be the one who would bring God's not a, not only the uh, the bringer of justice, but the bringer of God's salvation to the ends of the earth. He would be a light to the nations. Uh, and this week, what we're going to focus on in chapters uh, in this chapter, chapter 50, uh, this new, a new aspect. This brings out something new about this servant. And you can see it there. If you have a handout, that might be helpful to give you a bit of an idea of where we're going. Uh, you can see this this new aspect of this perfect of this servant. Uh, He is the one who is the perfect disciple of the Lord. The perfect disciple of the Lord. Uh, You get that as we read through when it talks about the servant listening. A disciple was one who was a learner, someone who who learned from their master. And the picture here is of this disciple. Now being a a disciple in the ancient world was a big deal. right? Being a disciple was a big deal. It basically meant you uh, were instructed. You, You had your rabbi, your teacher... You're instructed to him. You kind of committed yourself to him. You'd follow them around so that you'd learn everything from them. Not only what they said, but the way they live their life. You kind of follow them. Uh, uh, there are even, I understand, so I hear, there are even stories of disciples in the ancient world going to extreme lengths to follow their rabbi. Extreme lengths. Uh, uh, there's, uh, there's stories, I understand, of disciples hiding. Uh, in toilets or under beds uh, to learn everything about the way their rabbi did life. In the mo- uh, don't think about that too much. Uh, but the point is, they were totally devoted to their rabbi, their master, to um, kind of learn from them and they do everything to, to learn to do that. And this servant that we have in this passage in chapter 50, uh, he is a disciple like no other. He is a disciple like no other. Did you see that as we read through? Uh, In verse 4, the Lord had given him a well-instructed tongue. Literally, that reads the tongue of a disciple. Uh, A well-instructed tongue. Uh, But his teacher, did you notice that? This isn't just a disciple of some impressive rabbi. His teacher, his, his rabbi, is the sovereign Lord himself the maker and sustainer and redeemer of the world. And he doesn't, uh, did you see here as well, it's not like this servant is someone who's kind of chosen this rabbi and anxiously strives after him, tries to get, you know, tries to get his attention. Did you see that here? He doesn't go out of his way to follow this teacher around. There's a, a radical difference with this disciple. The teacher goes out of his way to instruct this disciple rather than the other way around. Do you notice that? There's something so wonderful going on here, something so much deeper than someone choosing to learn from a teacher. This teacher has chosen his disciple and relates to him in this incredible intimate way. See that in verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He He wakens me. Morning by morning, he wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. It's a picture of this incredible intimacy between this, between this uh, teacher and his disciple. Like, it's, not even, it's much more intimate than uh, even those disciples who went to extreme lengths to learn from their rabbis. This is the picture of uh, a dad waking his kid... It's time to get up it's the 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 picture of morning by morning the lord the sovereign lord waking this servant up to 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 teach him the servant to learn from him and as we read on this servant gets described in this incredible way there's such an intimate connection that gets kind of flagged there in verse four uh, such an intimate connection between these two that you can actually mix them up without contradicting yourself. Uh, and we, By the end of the song, you might have picked, uh, sort of read that as we read through, by the end of the song in verse 10, what we looked at in the kids' talk, uh, it's, they're, they're kind of interchangeable. Who is the one who fears the Lord and the, who obeys the word of his servants? To hear the servants is to hear God and to obey the servant is to obey God. There's this incredible connection and intimacy between these two Characters, which is stunning, because all through Isaiah, the Lord is the one who stands alone, who does not give His glory to any other person. And yet, there's this mysterious connection here. But what is it that the Lord teaches this disciple? Uh, we I skipped over that as I read through it in verse four. There, uh, what is it that the Lord teaches? The Lord gives this disciple, a well, a, a, this, a tongue of disciples, uh, to know the word that sustains the weary. To know the word that sustains the weary. Isaiah has already talked about weariness um, through his prophecy. He's already talked about weariness. The whole second half, as we saw in that slide earlier, the whole second half of his prophecy is a word of hope a promise for the future. And chapter 40, the start of that section, chapter 40 starts with this incredible word of hope, of comfort to those who are weary. Chapter 4 has that great passage. You might have heard it before, uh, that this great change where uh, we hear the Lord's promise uh, for this great renewal. And at the end of the chapter, Uh, It talks about weariness. It says, even youths grow tired and weary. You know this passage, some of you may. Uh, And young men will stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This hope is for weary people. And if you are here a couple of weeks ago, um, perhaps that rings bells as well, about this servant who is tender towards bruised reeds, as we mentioned before. Smouldering wicks who feel like they're about to go out. Last uh, couple of weeks ago, we focused on the way the servant is tender towards these bruised reeds. Uh, We kind of looked at some hints there that there was a deeper kind of bruising going on there the more general bruising of being in this world, the the weariness that comes just from living in a fallen world. Uh, But there we kind of hinted at, and here we're going to focus in on this other kind of deeper bruising, this other kind of weariness. Uh, Because Isaiah does it himself. uh, Just a few chapters before this, um, if you flick back to chapter 46, just a few chapters before chapter 50, Uh, Isaiah is in the middle of talking about uh, the way God's people have sold themselves to serve the idols of the nations around them. He's talking about idolatry, serving created things rather than the creator. And back in chapter 46, he talks about a kind of deep weariness that comes from idolatry, from following these gods. 46 verse 1 uh, he's talking about these gods of Babylon. Uh, the second part of that verse, the images, these idols, the images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. These idols are a burden for the weary. Friends, all through Isaiah, this is the major problem. God's people not trusting him but instead turning to the idols of the nations around them. Trusting them for their salvation, putting their hope in them to give fulfillment and peace. This is a major problem. Uh, It's not just because God is some egomaniac, right, who kind of wants more attention than the others. No, that's not what's going on. He is the creator who knows what is best for his creation He is a parent who loves his children and knows what they need. Isaiah writes that to worship anything other than the true and living God is to live under a great and crushing burden. A great and crushing burden. People worship created things. They set up idols in the place of God uh, in verse, uh, if you read chapter 46 um, later down in the chapter, in verse 7, it talks about them setting up these idols in their place. They set up from a, a spot that cannot move, even though someone cries out to it, it cannot answer. It cannot save them from their troubles. Yet you know, this tragic picture of people crying out to these idols, wanting them to give them security and safety and salvation, but it's just it can't answer them. It won't save them and it is a crushing burden. It is wearisome. And somehow, this perfect disciple learns from his father the word that sustains the weary, both in that more general sense of the weariness of living in a fallen world, but also, and even more wonderfully, that deeper sense of this weariness that comes from idolatry, from our idols, from serving created things, not the Creator. We'll come back to that at the end, friends. But the servant isn't done yet, um, so we're going to move on to the rest of chapter 50. So if you want to flick back to chapter 50, um, this, this, uh, uh, what it meant for him to be a disciple, what it meant for this servant to be the perfect disciple of the Lord wasn't just to hear from him, it was, as we read on, to obey him. To obey him. The Lord had a job for this servant to do. And it's a shock here when we get it to uh, verse 5. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. There's a shock here. The job that God had for his servant, his perfect disciple, who we've already heard is the one he loves the one he's poured his spirit out onto, the job he had for him involved great suffering, great suffering. The servant willingly embraces what he's called to do. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting, Because of his obedience to the Lord, the servant went through extreme suffering, being beaten, mocked, spat upon. He had his beard pulled out. And blokes who have beards, can you just imagine the pain, right, of having your beard ripped out? Someone's had a recent shave off his beard, so he doesn't have to worry about having his beard pulled out. But you can imagine the pain. I mean, it makes you shudder, right? this thought of the extreme suffering of this servant. But did you also notice, as we read through, do you notice that the servant isn't passive? He's not a passive kind of victim of this suffering. You see what it says up there? He, he offered his back. He offered his back. He offers his cheeks. He doesn't hide his face. What is going on here? This servant who goes through such suffering out of obedience to his Lord, who doesn't turn away? He can do that because he knows he knows who his teacher is, who his rabbi, who his master is, who his Lord is. He knows that this job that involves such suffering is the will of the Lord. And he trusts that he will be helped, that he will be upheld by the Lord, if you read on to verse seven. Verse seven says, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flints and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me who will condemn me. They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. This one who has been subjected to the most disgraceful abuse, he says he will not be disgraced. Right? Can you imagine the scene? Right? Can you imagine how humiliated you would be to be publicly whipped, flogged, a spat on, um, humiliated, your beard pulled out, mocked. Uh, can you imagine how humiliating that be, how shameful that would be? But this servant says, he will not be put to shame. Because he knows the Lord helps him. Uh, not only does the Lord help him, the Lord will uphold him. That word, as you read through, the Lord will vindicate him. It means... The Lord will show him to be the one who is in the right. The Lord won't let go of him. This suffering that he will go through will not be the end. God will show him that he is, show the world that this one is his chosen servant. So he can look his mockers and his accusers in the eye and know that any charge that they bring against him is just like moss. Eating a garment. I remember uh, as a kid visiting my grandparents' house, my grand, my grandpa's house. My grandma died uh, a while earlier. Uh, grandpa lived the last years of his life on his own, and he he wasn't too concerned about um, the moths that would, you know, inhabit his uh, his uh, clothes and his wardrobe. I remember occasionally kind of getting to sneak in and open up his musty uh, wooden wardrobe, and you know, you have those great kind of memories of the smells. Uh, And you peer in. I remember peering in and looking at kind of old clothes that I was sure, you know, if I would just reach out and touch them, they'd disintegrate because they're so moth-eaten. And well, friends, you know, that's kind of like what some of you hear. That's what. That's what these accusers are like to this servant. They seem so solid and so real and so terrifying but they're just about to vanish like a moth-eaten shirt, right? They're just about to vanish. Well, friends, this servant is the perfect disciple of the Lord. More than a disciple, he, in some incredible way, he is, he is equal with the Lord. He, he, he is interchangeable with God. He is instructed by the Lord, obedient to Lord, even to great suffering, And all the while, he has this incredible confidence, right? He has this incredible confidence that however much suffering he will go through, however much suffering, God will help him and will vindicate him. And Isaiah ends this song, as we kind of read through, Isaiah ends it by showing two ways of responding to this servant that he's just painted this picture of, that we've just heard speak. Verse 10 Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, walk in the light of your fires. And of the torches you have set ablaze, this is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torments. Friends, do you see what uh, we are being told here? These two ways of responding to this servant's uh, Verse 10, this humble, recognizing who the Lord is, fearing the Lord uh, in this right sense, not of cowering in terror, but of wonder and awe a kind of humility that comes from that, a humble and obedient trust for those who walk in the darkness and who have no lights, And the alternative to that, the alternative, friends, is the way of idolatry. It is the way of burden and torment. Uh, it is the way that says, in my darkness I will light my own torch. To refuse to receive God's kindness and grace, to be in darkness, but instead of trusting the servant, instead of leaning on him to guide you, lighting my own torch to try and see and walk in my own strength. The servant is the one who is the light of the world. We saw that last week. The only way to live in the darkness of this world is to trust him. To see by His lights, uh, but we so often don't we, do we not? We re- in ourselves we refuse to do that because we hate to give up our autonomy. <laughs> we hate to give up our kind of control over ourselves. So we light our own fires, we make our own idols, and to serve what we can manipulate and what we control. In the end, that is the servant says the way to torment. And it couldn't be any other way, could it? Friends, here is the one who knows perfectly the mind of the Lord, who obeys him fully. Here is the one who alone is the light of this dark world. And to refuse him, all that's left is darkness, isn't it? To refuse him has to end badly, but to trust him To rest in him is what we were made for, is what will give us the life and the peace that we crave. My friends, we've kind of come to the end of this incredible third servant song. It is another, you know, remarkable piece of writing, not just a piece of writing, but a remarkable insight into the plans and purposes of God for his world. And you can see, can't you, why this speaks so powerfully of Jesus, Uh, not just another disciple who tries to imitate his master, but the perfect son who was awakened every day by his heavenly father. The perfect word of God made flesh. The one who knew that his mission meant incredible suffering, the one who faced that suffering with such incredible courage, grit and determination. The one who set his face like flint to go towards Jerusalem, even though he knew it would end in his death. The one who told his disciples beforehand that in Jerusalem he would be handed over and condemned to death, that his accusers would mock and spit on him they would flog him and that they would kill him. But the one who knew, the one who knew that three days later he would rise, that he would be vindicated by the Lord. This is what he came to do for his people, for his world, and his father would not abandon him to the grave. We saw at the start, friends, that this servant is the one who learns the word that sustains the weary. The word that sustains the weary. And again, again, that is exactly what we see in Jesus, isn't it? Uh, In Matthew 11, this wonderful passage where Jesus cries out, you may be familiar with the words, come to me, all you a Saviour uh, who is for the weary, not just the weary, not, not just Well, wonderfully, incredibly he is for the weary, who are weary because of this broken world, uh, because of just um, your weariness from the life that seems to be rushing past you and you seem to be kind of grabbing hold onto. Uh, but as we've seen already that Isaiah points to this deeper weariness that is also on view here, the weariness that comes not just from the life out there, but from something deep within here. (sighs) That kind of weariness, have you felt it? That weariness that comes over your anxious mind, that whirs over problems and tensions that can can never see a way out. (sighs) That kind of deeper weariness. I certainly feel that, friends. And it's a sure way to lie down in torment, isn't it? That weariness. And it's a weariness that is not virtuous. I keep needing to um, tell myself this. This isn't a virtuous thing, that you're weary about these things. It's it's idolatry. It's wickedness. (laughs) It is idolatry. It is the weariness that comes from me relying on myself and not entrusting myself to the one... Good, gracious God who loves me and who will sustain me. It is me lighting my own torch instead of leaning on the servants. Friends, what are the idols that make you weary? That burden you? Your, there could be so many things. Desire for approval from others that mean you relate more out of fear than out of love. Uh, your desire for control that means you have to have a handle on everything before you can feel you're okay. Your anxiety that you won't make your mark in this world and your deep desire to have influence and power, that kind of comes from that. Our idols are so deep, aren't they? There's so many, they're so entrenched. And uh, without God's Spirit working in us, they are so, they're impossible to address Whatever they are, friends, Isaiah 50, this word of the servant says that they will be a crushing burden that will end in torment. And Jesus says, Come to me, not to them. Come to me in the face of all of that, and I will give you rest. I just want to finish with one passage, friends, from the New Testament that ties all of this together and shows how Jesus gives this rest. How he gives this rest. Not uh, The stunning claim, friends, of the Gospel is not that you and I need to be perfect disciples. The stunning claim of the Gospel is that Jesus was the perfect disciple for us, in our place, and that through faith in him, through simply holding out our empty hands, not bringing our own torches to him, holding out our empty hands and receiving his grace, we are are connected to him in such a profound and deep way that what is true of him is now true of us. Whether we feel it or not, what is true of him is true of us. That we share in the the servant's suffering and his vindication and his cross and his resurrection. We share in his victory over his enemies, over the great enemies. So friends, I'm just going to read this wonderful passage from Romans 8 to finish. We're going to spend a bit more time in this later in the year as we read through Romans together. So I don't want to steal all that thunder, but it so majestically and wonderfully ties together what we've been talking about today. Romans 8, verse 31. What then? This is the Apostle Paul writing after his wonderful picture of the gospel of Jesus that brings us into right relationship with God simply through faith. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And you hear the echoes, right? The servant says, who can be against me? I've got God on my side. Well, friends, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. And is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all of these things, we And let's pray together. Lord, what an incredible portrait we have been given in your holy word of this servant, your perfect disciple, the one who is so closely identified with you that now we know is equal with you, your son, our Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for him. Thank you that he did not turn away from the suffering that was before him but he set his face like flint and he went to the cross. Thank you that he went, knowing that you would not not resign him to the grave, you would not let his body see decay, but that you would look after him, you would vindicate him, you would raise him again. Lord, we have this incredible word that sustains us who are weary, that through faith in the Lord Jesus... Everything that is true of him is also true of us. Father, may we not light our own torches in the face of our own darkness, but may we cling to love, immerse ourselves in, and trust ourselves to this one, this perfect servant, knowing that in him nothing can separate us from your love. And we pray that in his name. Amen.